Well, I'm glad to be with you this morning. It's good to see you here today, and what a good day it is to be in a nice, dry, warm room instead of out in the wet cold, but uh, it's always a gift to be together. Hey, before we get into this morning's lesson, I want us to take just a real quick moment to celebrate someone today. Uh, Miss Betty Dalberry, uh, you're sitting back here. Do you mind just standing up for us just real quick, Miss Betty? Miss Betty is 90 years young today. I just hope I look that good when I'm 90. Well, this is that time of year where the tech world holds its breath, and really we've almost passed the point, but this is around the season where every year people in the tech industry and those who are tech fanatics begin to ask the big question, what will they name the new iPhone this year? And so every year there's this process that we go through, and maybe it's not iPhone, maybe it's a different device, maybe you're an Android fanatic, but whatever it is, there's always the question, well, what does it do? Does it have a better screen? Does it have fewer buttons? Does it just like know what I'm thinking? What does it do? And what will it be called? What's its name? Because often the name tells you what it does. Names have power. Names have meaning. And as we come to this moment that we call Christmas, we're reminded of the name that does have great power. Far more than something you can hold in the palm of your hand, but we are told that this named one will be closer to you than a device. He will live with you, in you, around you, among us. And his thoughts will become our thoughts, his ways, our ways, his heart, our heart. What is his name? We're going to read about his name here in just a moment from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And as we turn there, I want to remind you what this series is about. We are looking for these few weeks leading up to Christmas Day. What is the most simple, the most stripped down we can get to what this season is about? That this is the Christmas season. So what is it about? It is simply about Jesus. In fact, if you remember last week, we said that Christmas is simply for two things. Number one... Remembering Jesus' birth and anticipating Jesus' return. It's about remembering that he came and anticipating that he will come again. Who in here is ready for Jesus to come again? It's going to be a good day. And that's what the season is about. But we're going to look at the name that is above every name because as we see his name, I believe it will help stir your heart and prepare your mind not only to remember his first coming, but to anticipate his second. And so we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This will be on the screen if you want to follow along there. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what she, what is conceived in her, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. My message title this morning, if you're wanting to take notes, it's not what's on the back. This was a 6 a.m. change-up today, so hang with me here. It's going to be a little different. But if you want the name for this message, it's simply this. The name of Christmas. The name of Christmas. This is a shocking, scandalous passage. You say, why? What is it that makes this a shocking, a scandalous passage? What makes it so unusual? Well, is it the fact that there's a young girl who is pregnant, but she's a virgin? Yeah, that's shocking. That's scandalous. But no, that's not what makes this passage so shocking. You say, well, is it the fact that a righteous man, a guy named Joseph, was planning to divorce his wife? And the Bible says this. No, that's not what's shocking about this passage. You say, well, is it because an angel appears to him in a dream? Hey, listen, guys, if you want brownie points, all you have to say right now, just nudge your lady and say, baby, every morning I wake up, I look over and I see an angel. You just say that, okay? You know, I don't need a dream. I got one right here, okay? But that's not what makes this shocking. It's not that there was an angel or that he was maybe going to divorce her or that she's with child. What makes this shocking is who gets to name the child. Now, the reason we don't see this as a shocking thing is we don't put ourselves in Joseph's place. We don't live the text. But guys, gals, think with me for a moment. What is the most exciting moment when you've already told the family, when you've already told the friends, hey, we're going to have a baby? I mean, you're so excited. What is the best part after that? Everyone starts to ask you the one question. What are you going to name the child? What are you going to name the child? And of course, if this is before you know if it's a boy or a girl, they often say, well, what are you going to name it? And that just feels weird. It's not an it, but okay, I get that. And they say, what will you name the child? And the parents, they start to think about what they're going to name the child, don't they? And you start to come up with names. In fact, one of the things I do every night with my daughter, Emma, when she goes to bed, she'll lay there and I'll tell her, say, Emma... If I could line up all the girls in the world and I could pick just one, I would look and look and look until I found the perfect daughter. And she looks with her big eyes and she says, yes, what's her name? And I say, I would pick Shaniqua. (laughs) And she goes, dad. Okay, fine. I would pick Bertha, Dad, and I go through all the names I can possibly think of, and she's gotten to the point, because she's just this rough and tumble little girl, she's gotten to the point that when I do that, she starts to punch me, and I'm like, okay, that's enough, and I finally say, no, 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 I find the perfect little girl, and her name is Emma K. Diggs, and she goes, I love you, Daddy, good night, (laughs) 
It's the naming that makes it so great. But notice in this text, who names the child? It is not the father. It is not the mother. At least not the earthly parents. Who names it? God names the child. This is scandalous, but so important. It is God who says, Joseph, you're going to take care of this little one. You're going to be the daddy on earth for this little guy. But you need to know, I'm the one who gets to name him. And here's why this is so important. In the ancient world, a name says a couple big things. It says, this is who you are. And, this, and it says, this is what you are here to do. This is who you are. This is what you're supposed to do. In other words, if you want to write this down, in the ancient world, a name told you your identity. This is who you are. And it told you your purpose. This is what you do. This is who you are. This is what you do. And so God says, I want there to be clarity for all people. This is who he is. This is what he does. And so he begins to name the child. And so let's just look at Jesus' name. Notice the first thing that we see here. Jesus' name, when you see who is naming the child, it is showing who has authority or superiority over the child. When God says, this is my son, when he says, this is his name, he's saying, this is my boy. Joseph, you're going to take good care of him, absolutely. But he is my son, In the ancient world, if you were to go and you were to ask, what will you name the child? Parents, and specifically the father, would be the one to choose the name because the father was the authority in the home. He was the one who called the shots and he was the one who had responsibility and authority over the child. Names were always given from the greater to the lesser. And so God says to Joseph, you are not great enough to name this boy. Because as soon as Jesus is born, get this, he is older than his parents. He is the greater, not the lesser. This is why, think about this for a minute with me. Think about through scripture, we see this all the time. Uh, God gives people the responsibility to name things. Because if you name something, you have ownership, you have authority over it. And so God gives Adam in the very beginning, at the beginning of all things, he gives Adam the responsibility, the right to name the animals. And so Adam names the animals because he is to have authority and responsibility over the animals. He's saying you are to have dominion, authority, rulership over them. This is why, parents, you pick the names for your children. It would be very weird for you to say the name of your child and then when your child comes out, your child looks at you and says, well... You, you know, you, your, your name is Bob, but you look more like a Sean to me. From now on, I shall call you Sean, and Sean will be your name. That's where you, as a good father, would look at your child and say, I made you, I can make more of you. That is not my name. Because the greater determines the name of the lesser. Does this make sense? So when he says his name will be Jesus, God is saying, only I have the authority to name him because he will be greater 
than anyone you have ever met, greater than anyone you have ever known. A name says, this is who you are. And a name also says, this is what you do. And do you notice, he doesn't just say, his name will be Jesus. But he explains why his name is Jesus. The name Jesus is the Greek or Hellenized version of the name Joshua. Or if you were to pronounce it more accurately, it's Yeshua. Y-E-S-H-U-A. Yeshua. That means Yeshua. Ye is for Lord or God. And Shua means saves. His name literally means God saves. That Jesus is not just some name God pulled out of a hat, but it is the name to declare this is what he does. Jesus will be his name because he will save his people from their sins. This is who you are. This is what you do. This is who he is. This is what he does. Now, here's the thing about this. This tells us who Jesus is. It tells us what he does. It also tells us a little bit about our situation. I only need a savior if I am lost. If I am in danger. I don't need a savior if I can save myself. Church, do you understand? At the beginning of the story of the life of Jesus, God is saying clearly... You can't save you, but you need to be saved. So he says, this is his name. This is what he does. This is who he is, his identity and his purpose. And by the way, have you noticed that Jesus throughout Scripture seems to know who he is all the time? That there's no point at which Jesus has a crisis of identity. He's not going, who am I? He doesn't have to go off somewhere to the west to find himself. He's not... Trying to figure out what his purpose will be in life. He knows who he is. Parents, do you remember that one moment? Church, do you remember that one moment when Jesus is in the temple? He's very young. His mom and daddy have lost him. They are coming back from Jerusalem where they were at temple. They're on their way back home. They look around, realize their boy is missing. They go back to the temple. And where do they find Jesus? In the temple. And what's he doing? He's teaching the leaders and the leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the guys who are paid to know the Bible. He is teaching them the scriptures. He's like, oh yeah, this happened, this happened. And he goes, oh yeah, and this is the time I said this. And this is the time, okay. And, and they come back and they say, what are you doing? And do you remember what Jesus says? I must be about my father's business he knows why he's here listen church when you know who you are when you know the name you have been given you know what you are here to do here's the reason we're talking about this you say okay that's great that's good what does that have to do with simply christmas here's what it has to do Last week, do you remember we said we don't want you to miss the moment that there is this pause in our calendar where we say it's all about the birth. It's all about what Jesus did. It's all about his coming. And we do not want to miss the moment. And here's why. If you do not pause, if you do not take a season to say this is what he did, you are liable to forget who you are if you forget what he came to do. It is all about Jesus. 
And so, his name, he is my son. His purpose, he will save the world. Now, I want to ask you a quick question this morning. What is your name? So here's what I want to do. We're just going to sort of start the bar at a really low level. I want you to turn to someone to your right or to your left real quick and just tell them, tell them your name. Go ahead. First name, last name, doesn't matter. Tell them your name. Go ahead. Okay. Now, I didn't tell, the, tell you to tell your whole life story, <laughs> just your name. Now, I want you to turn to the other person, your second choice, <clears throat> and tell them if your name has any meaning that you know of. Go ahead. Or maybe you're named after someone. Go ahead and tell them real quick. Okay, you got it? Now, here's why I want you to consider this. You were given at birth, or maybe when you were married, or maybe you changed your name at some point, or who knows, but at some point in your life, you were given a name, and you carry that name. Some of us carry our names with pride because we love where we come from. Others of us in this room, we carry our names with a bit of shame. We don't say it too loudly because of where we came from. But we all have a name. And here's the same two questions. Here's the thing I want you to wrestle with. I want to invite you to sit in this week. It's two questions. What's your name? First question to ask is ultimately when you look at your name, you're going to be asking the question, who's am I? Whose are you? You say, wait, what? No, no, not who are you, but whose are you? Because remember, the greater names the lesser. Someone, something has named you. What has named you? Where do you get your identity? A hundred years ago, If you were to ask, where does someone get their name, who they are, what their value comes from, society, we'd say the answer is society. It's society that says, this is who I am, this is what I'm worth, this is where I'm going. And so you look and society says, well, based on where you were brought up, your parents, your income, this is who you are, you are in a particular status in society. How many of you remember or how many of you watched the show Downton Abbey when it was on? Anyone? Now, my hand's only up here because I'm I'm using that for reference, not because I watched it, not because I liked it, not because I cried in it, okay? But Downton Abbey, right? You've got a class system where you have the... Lord Grantham, right? He's the top dog. And Lady Grantham, she's the top dog. They are the the creme de la creme. And then you have the servants who help out. And you have people in their places. Society determined your name. Today, though, if you were to say, well, what's your name? Society still speaks into this. But it says, hey, no one else gets to tell you who you are. You decide who you are. You pick who you will be. You are the master of your destiny. And so society still says you get to pick. And so we start to do this little grab bag of deciding who we are. And so some of us in this room, we have gone to our work to define who we are. We've gone to work for our name. So I ask you, what do you do for a living? And you say, I am a blank. I am a doctor. 
I am an accountant. I am an office manager. I am a mom. I am a dad. I am. And you are saying, this is who I am. I did not ask you who you were. I asked you what you did. Do you see the difference? You are not the sum of your work. You are not the sum of the hours you clock in and then clock out. You are not the sum of the amount of money you make for your company or your shareholders or your family. You are more than your job. Can I get an amen? Some of us are saying that's where my identity comes from. Others in here, we don't get our identity from our work. We get our identity from an internal passion. Something that we just go, oh, this is, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. And so some of us, it's, it, maybe it's not work, but maybe it's just being a parent. My identity is being a dad. Or my identity is being a mom. And my life, everything that makes me who I am is in making these kids who they will be. But here's the problem. What happens on the day that they grow up and they move away? And now you are not consumed 24-7 with how to make them who they are. You then have to ask the question, who are you now? Or worse, what happens if your children don't turn out the way you think they should turn out? Or what if they pass away before you do? What happens if that which you've said, this is my passion, is taken from you? I'll tell you what happens. You're left saying, I don't know who I am. Some of us go to work, others to an internal passion, and then there's others in here. We base who we are based on our past. I have a number of good friends who have been going through sobriety and the 12 steps, and, and they're trying to find out how to be who they've been called to be. And while I love things like AA and NA, and I think they do great work, there's one thing that always bothers me about it. You get up, and I've gone to some of these meetings with my friends, and You see them stand up and they stand up and say, Hi, my name is, and they say their name, and then they say this phrase, I am an alcoholic. I am a drug user. Or, and they will say, this is who they are. And I understand the reasoning why. And if you're in it and if you're going through it and if that's what you're doing and it's helping you, praise God. But here's the only thing I would challenge you. You are not defined by what you did. You are defined by what Jesus has done. You are not the sum of your sins. You are the sum of your Savior. And so who you are matters. And my question is this. Not have you been given a name because you will be named by something. But rather, whose name do you have? Whose are you? Who are you? owns you who says this is my girl this is my boy this is my daughter this is my son and here if this sounds familiar in whom i am well pleased whose are you and here's my my fear if you rush through this season you're going to be one of those people because you're so busy doing good things if you rush through this moment if you don't pause and take time to reflect on your name given by God then the danger will come that you think you are what you have done you are what you're passionate about you are your work and you will miss the beautiful gift of grace that comes this season.
Whose are you? See, this is sort of like the last name of the family. You understand you have a first name and a last name. When you join a family, and I don't mean when you go up and like sign a document, hi, I'd like to apply for family membership in the Halsteads, or I'd like to join the, the family of the Smiths. No, but when you become part of a family, you get the family name. You get to be called part of the family. It's an incredible thing. When Jesus was baptized, I referenced it a moment ago. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water and God the Father said, This is my son. I love him. When you come out of the water, although none of us can hear it with physical ears, all of heaven declares, this is God's son, and he loves him. He loves her. God is for this person. He now has the name child of God. You've got the same last name as everyone else, including Jesus Christ, son, daughter, child of God. And the second thing. Not only whose are you, what are you living for? See, you've got a last name. You've got the last name of child of God, but here's what makes you unique. See, we're all the same when it comes to being a child of God. There's no one better, there's no one worse. We're all equals at the foot of the cross. In the family of God, God does not play favorites. But God does make us unique and distinct for a purpose. He gives you a first name that is uniquely yours. A last name for all, but a first name that is just yours. And the way you discover that name is by serving others. See, one of the reasons last week we harped so much on saying don't miss the moment is because you need time to be able to remember this is who I am, this is who I am, and then to express who you are by what you do, to have time to do things that are meaningful and make a difference. And so here's the big thing. When you want to know and when you want to learn your name, one of the best tools I know to share with you is one that we're actually in the season of doing right now. In fact, if you have your bulletin, go ahead and open it real quickly. Grab your bulletin. You need to know that our church is so committed to you knowing whose you are and to know why you're here and to blessing this world that our church is committed to making it easy for you to do this. There's an acrostic that I want to show you. It's in your bulletin so you don't even have to write it down. But in the top right hand corner, we're inviting you to bless others. And here's the thing. You think this is just to help other people. Yes, it does. But it helps you discover what you're here to do, what your first name is. And so I want to walk through this. You learn your name by blessing others with a B. That simply says, begin with prayer. Ask God who he wants you to bless. Here's what I know about our God. If you ask him and you seek him and you let him talk to you, he will answer. He'll put a person in your path. He'll put you in the right place at the right time. He will show you who to bless. Sometimes it'll be someone you're like, that person, yes. And then there'll be other times where it's like, oh no. But he'll give it to you. You begin with prayer. You say, God, who have you uniquely made me to serve, to bless? Second one is the L. You then listen to those people 
You let them share with you their struggles, their difficulties, the things that have made their lives both unique or difficult or whatever else. You listen. How many of us know people who are more quick to speak than to listen? Oh, but listen, if you want to know who you are, you discover it in community with other people. You begin to listen to what they are saying and you go, oh, I can do something about that. Now, all this stuff you've talked about, I can't do anything about that. But this one thing, this one thing, I can do that. You begin with prayer. You listen as they share what's going on in their lives. Then here's a real simple one. Go ahead and push the slide ahead for me, will you? The E is you eat a meal with someone. You say, well, what does that have to do with discovering your purpose? Here's what I know. I can serve people from a distance. I cannot eat with them from a distance. Did you know, if you read through the Gospels, and in particular the Gospel of Luke, Luke wants you to know how much Jesus cares about people. So Jesus is always eating with folks, and here's the reason. In the ancient world, who you ate with was who you are. Who you spend your time with around the table says, this is who I am. These are my people. If you want to find out who God has made you to be, don't serve from a distance. You get right up close. You spend time. You have a meal with someone. You hear their stories. You consider what they're sharing. And then the first S is you serve their needs. You find that thing. You do that thing. And, and here's the beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, our, our small group, and by the way, I'm, I want to share this with you, not to say, hey, way to go, but rather I want you to have ideas. So for instance, our small group decided to do this together. And so the way that we did it together is we gathered, we prayed, we considered, and we have done uh, this thing. We've put together homeless bags. They have socks, they have water, they have little cracks, they have other things, so that when we are in those times interacting with someone who does not have a home, there's a ready-made opportunity to interact. And we're, put, we're going to put some cards in there to say, here's where you can find us, this what, but here's the next step in that. When those moments come, and some of us... Some people I know have already been doing this. Is instead of just handing it through the window, they stop, they hop out. They'll sit down, they'll talk, they'll share. They will hear what's going on. They'll understand their life. Because as you bless, you learn what your purpose is. And then the fifth and final thing, the final S is simply this. Share how Jesus changed your life. You understand, it's not just helping, it's also sharing you know, a lot of times we think, well, I'll just, I'll share my life, but I won't share Jesus. I, you know, I'll let my actions speak. And listen, actions, actions, actions are important. But if you only help someone physically, but never speak of Jesus, you have not helped them beyond their few years on earth. And here's what's so amazing about this. Here's what's so amazing. When you do this, God will reveal who you are, who he has made you to be. Yes, you are his son. You are his daughter. But he'll begin to say, and your first name is. And for some, you're going to say, well, my first name is. I am someone who helps people go through their divorces or recover from the fallout from them. Because I was there. I've dealt with it. I've gone through it. And I can walk with them. For others, it's going to be, well, you know, I help people who have dealt with addictions. Or maybe you're like some of the ladies in our church who help with Cry for the Broken. So they go out and they serve alongside and they help and they attempt to rescue ladies who think there's no other way to get through this life except from exploiting themselves physically. 
Or maybe it's not something like that. Maybe for you, you just have found that your ministry, your place is in your office, that there's a space there. You're not there to make money. You think you're there to make money, but God's like, no, you're there to bring the light of Jesus to your office cubicle. Some people come up and say, Josh, would you pray that I could leave my job and find a place where there are Christians? And I say, no, I won't pray for that. Because God has already put a Christian in your office to make more Christians. This is how you find out who you are. Whose are you, church, this morning? Let me just ask you. Whose are you? If we were to end this service by handing the mic around and say, Whose are you this morning? I'm not asking, were you baptized? I'm asking, Where do you find your identity? What is it that you say, if I have this, I have everything. But if I don't have this, I have nothing. That's whose you are. And how are you living? What are you doing? Here's the promise. Here's the promise. Are you listening? God says, I want you to know the name of my son. Because... He wants to save you from all these false things that you think will save you.